a really quick and exciting announcement to make. The Menopause and Cancer podcast is now also on YouTube, and I'm so excited that more people now get to watch our conversations. So the link to the YouTube channel is in our show notes. Please go and subscribe to the channel so that more people who need to hear our conversations are able to find them. Thank you. Hi, I'm Danny Bennington and welcome to my podcast. This podcast is for anyone who's been affected by cancer and menopause. I'll be speaking to special guests and menopause experts to help us find solutions to our symptoms and of course address the greater picture. We're going to talk about everything from mental health to physical health, sexual health to bone health and everything in between. Nothing is off limits. Welcome. everyone and welcome to this week's episode on our podcast. It's going to be a tricky conversation to manage and to handle because again there is no right or wrong and so many of us feel so differently in navigating certain medications, certain treatments, their side effects and there is no answer that will fit all but by just scrolling in my Facebook group I have so many questions or communications, chats coming up between our lovely members that talk about the difficulty of managing long-term cancer treatments such as tamoxifen or aromatase inhibitors. I personally have never been on either of those treatments and so I can't really speak from personal experience, all I can do is relate and try and help signpost so that we have better chances on staying on those treatments that give us all of these beneficial effects. Now, I want to set a scene a little bit before I welcome in our guest of today. And um, that is a few conversations so that you sort of get the gist of what other people might be struggling with. And then you might sort of find yourself perhaps in a couple of the anecdotes that I'm bringing to you for now. One lady said, I was diagnosed with ER positive breast cancer. Then I had a mastectomy, then I had a reconstruction and I've been on tamoxifen. Can I please ask, does anyone else feel like a completely different person since going through this cancer and being on a hormone treatment? I feel really like I have changed. Another lady was saying, I was on tamoxifen until last summer and I'm now on anastrozole. Yes, I feel like a shadow of my old self. So many side effects and crippling fatigue. It's so, so hard trying to get used to the new me. Another Amazing woman was saying it's so hard to come back after all the trauma we have been and we are going through. And I had to take a break from tamoxifen because I was having blurred vision and a reduced hearing. It's just crazy. Another lady said, I've never felt the same since going on tamoxifen. That's for sure. Let me know if you find anything that helps. I'm exercising. I'm trying ac acupuncture. I'm taking magnesium, B12 shots and lessened the glasses of vino. But I still feel so different. I speak to women weekly who say they've reduced with their oncologists, help their doses of tamoxifen. They might take a different brand from a different manufacturer. They might take it at a different time of the day. And so there is lots of room 
to tinker because I think otherwise we just feel really hopeless. And this isn't a short treatment plan. People are on these long-term treatments for five, 10 years sometimes. Another lady is saying, it's a real struggle. My mind and body feel in chaos at times. I thought it would get easier with time, but having now been on tamoxifen for over three years, it doesn't seem the case. Unfortunately, I don't know how much longer I can do this for. Another lady says what so, so many women say over and over again. For me, the effects of tamoxifen has been the worst part of my cancer journey. Not only can I not sleep for longer than two hours at a time, I also feel I look different and it's aged me considerably. I'm very close to calling it a day, but so scared about the apparent benefits. And this is something I really want to underline and highlight here because for tamoxifen to be the worst part of someone's cancer journey, and I'm just assuming because I don't know, this often comes after chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and not just one, in many cases, multiple surgeries. But the way often tamoxifen or an aromatase inhibitor is presented to women is, oh, just take this little white pill and, you know, it's, it's nothing compared to what you've been through. And then our expectation, women think that active cancer treatment is the worst and surely after chemo, radio and surgeries, life gets better. But that little white pill or that one monthly injection can really change how we feel, how we think of ourselves, who we are and almost alter our personality. One lady says, I'm waiting for a call from my oncologist to find out about the factual benefits, as I'm unsure at the moment whether they even outweigh the symptoms. Since writing this, I've decided to take a four-week break in the tamoxifen to see if the symptoms subside as my anxiety is unbearable. And so the conversations go on and on and on, and some women do better on tamoxifen, others do better on aromatase inhibitors. Some are on the one and then they're switched to the other, or they're on the other and they're switched to a different one. And I have the incredible pleasure to speak to Dr. Alison Macbeth on our podcast today. And Alison is a breast speciality doctor in an NHS breast surgery clinic in Glasgow. And she sees NHS patients from all over the West Coast there. She's really passionate about meeting the often overlooked needs of women in all stages of cancer treatment or recovery from breast cancer. And before that, she... The previous 22 years, in fact, she gained experience as an NHS GP with a special interest in women's health, menopause and Jenny urinary prolapse. So she knows women and she's got an open mind. She's got a compassionate approach to helping us have a good quality of life and how to manage these very challenging long term anti hormone treatments, because really life is for living, right? And we need to discuss not just how we can have and access all of those treatments that can reduce our risks of a recurrence, but also how we can live well or as good as possible whilst we're on them. I'm excited for this chat. And so let's welcome Dr. Alison Macbeth in. Hello, Alison. Thank you Hi. for joining me on, on today's podcast episode. Lovely to be here. Hi. We have a quite a difficult conversation to tackle, and that is 
for anyone who has been put on tamoxifen or aromatose inhibitors for five or 10 years, how do we manage this very long slog that often feels too hard to manage? Yeah. You run a really busy breast clinic and I've already um, introduced you. So people are a little bit aware of what you do and the amazing services you provide. What's it like in Scotland? How many people that you see in your clinic are on tamoxifen and or aromatase inhibitors? They come to you, they always struggle. What do we do? <laughs> so in the old days, we used to run, you know, these clinics used to run and people would come in and you would examine their mammogram and you would say to them, how are you doing? And I, you know, they, they really just didn't get the time to discuss their symptoms you'd literally say you know any problems okay mammogram's fine back out the door because you had a clinic of 40 patients um and now clinics have changed and so you get more time and I found that pretty much every single woman you ask if you say to them look how are you getting on with your endocrine treatment initially they say fine and then you say how are you really getting on and then they they open up and I would say most people struggle. Now, some women are are just struggling a wee bit and unhappy just to have a chat about their symptoms and, and are perfectly happy then just to put up with them and keep going. But other women are really, really struggling. And so we need to have that conversation about how we can help, how we can keep women on endocrine treatment, or is it appropriate to stop it? Or can we change to something else that's far more tolerable? Um, and that all takes time, but you know, there's certainly there's hope, and there is things that we can do. There's lots of tweaks that we can do. So if you're struggling with your endocrine treatment, really important to contact your breast care nurse. Is 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 essentially your first port of call into your breast service, and just say, look, I, I'm struggling. You know, with tamoxifen, your typical side effects are hair thinning and weight gain and flushes. Um, you can get kind of memory problems, you know, at the extreme end, it can give you thickening of the lining of your womb and abnormal bleeding. So, you know, it's really important that if you do have symptoms, shout about them because we, you know, we want to know we, we can help. Mm, thank you for validating that it can be a really tough situation to manage because so many women are under the impression that once their active treatment is finished, they're being sent home with a little pill and then they say, I'm now only going to go on tamoxifen. Oh, it's only tamoxifen in comparison to perhaps their first lump of active treatment. And then a few months in, they realize that managing the anti-endocrine treatment is actually much harder than their active part altogether. Women say it's yeah. harder than managing surgery and chemotherapy and radiotherapy altogether. And I'm in it for not just a few months. This yeah. is this is years. So thank you for acknowledging how difficult it can be. Yeah, I mean, I think the focus as well was to get through your acute treatment. And, you know, yes, women often do struggle with their chemotherapy and they usually tolerate the radiotherapy much better. But as soon as they finish their treatment, you know, it, you're quite right. They'd say, OK, I've only got five years of tamoxifen or, you know, now more and more we're doing extended endocrine therapies for 10 years. So when the women say to me, I'm really struggling, actually, they often find it far worse than the chemo. 
So I think it's really important to acknowledge that for them to have somebody to discuss their symptoms with them, because it's usually a whole combination of things that are causing the symptoms. And then there's there's lots and lots of tweaks that we can do to improve their quality of life. We're not just going to say, look, tough got to put up with it, off you go for five years. There's things that we can do to help and make life more tolerable because there's no point in treating you for your breast cancer when your quality of life is, you know, is terrible. But in a way, we almost expect that it's okay for our quality of life to be really quite reduced because we, so many breast cancer survivors think, well, that just is a byproduct of our treatment. And so for this to be extended, we almost put up with it. And so many women don't say what they're experiencing. And I don't know what the numbers are, but what are compliance rates, say for tamoxifen? So so I would say for aromatase inhibitors, women really, you know, after six months, those, those compliance rates really plummet. And I'm not sure about, you know, how much exact research has been done here, but... If you ask a woman, and it depends who they're talking to, if they're talking to their breast consultant surgeon, they'll probably say, yes, I'm fine, I'm taking it. But when you really delve into it, they're really struggling after six months and compliance rates really fall off. And so then they, when you really sit down and talk to them, they'll admit they're really, they're, often they've stopped it completely or they're taking it as and when they can tolerate it. So, to, you know, compliance rates really are plummet after about six months with aromatase inhibitors. They're a bit better with, with tamoxifen because tamoxifen does tend to give you fewer of those real significant side effects. So with the aromatase inhibitors, it tends to be the you know, real joint pains and the vaginal dryness, the urinary symptoms. And I see so many women in my clinic who, like, uh, you know, I spoke to a lady in her 40s the other day who'd been through her treatment and, you know, told me she hadn't had sex with her husband for five years because it was so painful and she just felt her life was over and that's the way it was supposed to be. And, you know, I'm like, no. It's so (laughs) upsetting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, When you talk about compliance rates, are these, are you, so do you think women just make these decisions and it's so hard to cope with these side effects, they're sort of, take one every few days rather than be really on it and not have a proper conversation with their doctor it's it's interesting what you said about talking to your surgeon as well because I remember speaking to my male so there were male surgeons and oncologists and I always wanted to pretend I've got my stuff together that I'm getting on well with it all my finger and toenails fell off because I Uh never wanted to say that actually I've got really, really painful fingertips and toes. And I just wanted everyone to feel and understand that I've got it. Uh huh. And I think, I mean, this is, this is going to sound like an incredibly sexist thing to say, but I think it's important to be honest and say it. And it may be different for, for women in England, but I'm sure it's not. But for your typical kind of West Coast of Scotland women, they want to, they don't want to admit they're suffering. They, you know, they want to make it look like things are okay, they're coping. And I think also when you go to see a consultant at, at any clinic, you, not that you want to please them, but you want to make it look like everything's okay and that you're grateful for, you know, your treatment. And so they don't want to be disappointing these 
male consultant surgeons. And again, I'm not trying to be, it does sound terribly sexist and that's not what I'm trying to. I just think that the woman just won't admit to a male consultant surgeon. I'm really struggling with my vaginal dryness, my urinary symptoms. I can't have sex with my husband. You know, I, I, I spoke to, you know, the surgeons in my unit and, you know, they, they both admitted, uh, one's male, one's female, that they would never ask about urinary symptoms because that's not what breast surgeons discuss. But this is the one, you know, one of the main reasons why women stop their aromatase inhibitors specifically because of the significant vaginal dryness, urinary symptoms, unable to be intimate with their partners, their relationship might have broken down. I met one poor girl who couldn't, you know, she used to cycle to work, she couldn't cycle, she couldn't sit down, can't wipe yourself. And it's the joint pain. So it tends to be the significant joint pains and the vaginal issues with women on the aromatase inhibitors. And I would say at six months, your drop off rate plummets. Wow. And And that's just personal experience. Yes. Yeah. And so actually, before we even talk about what we can do, it's a really vital reminder for us to have the conversation and to be brave enough and to write it down and to write our symptoms down and to have them on a piece of paper and to read them off. If maybe just saying it feels a bit embarrassing and to be prepared to have have the words, have them yeah. come out of your mouth and be prepared for that. Um, it's difficult to say, isn't it? It's really hard to have these conversations. I think because the women feel so vulnerable anyway. You know, you've, you've all control has been taken off these women you know they've had their diagnosis surgery you know all control has been taken away from them and then they finish their acute treatment and then they're on medications and then their quality of life it doesn't always so please you know don't I don't want women to think you know that are listening to this that every woman is going to get horrendous symptoms so not but what I want women to hear is if you are please you know, come and and talk and speak to the breast care nurse because, you know, uh, as I say, I think the control has been taken away from women. They feel vulnerable. And the last thing they want to do is sit in front of a consultant surgeon and say, I can't tolerate this medication anymore because I can't have sex with my husband. I can't sit down to wee. I can't even wipe myself on the toilet. And that's that's heartbreaking, isn't it? It's, it's so difficult because on the one hand said, we are so grateful for these treatments because they will improve our, they will reduce our risks of recurrence. And so we know the value of those treatments. And then perhaps to say, I can't tolerate it. It just feels a little bit like we're giving up or we're not strong enough and we should be tolerating this. But I really doubt that this is the case. I think these are really strong situations our bodies are put in and the majority of Mm -hmm. people are going to find them difficult rather than the other way around yeah so um and I I think as you say women feel like failures if they can't if they can manage the chemotherapy and radiotherapy but can't manage a tablet you know one tablet a day and I think that if you go and speak to to somebody, they might say, they, you know, they're being encouraged to continue with them. They're just being told, OK, they're, they're going to reduce your risk of recurrence. So, you know, suck it up. But it doesn't have to be that way. So I think what I use all the time in my clinic is something called Predict Breast, which basically it's a computer model and you plug in 
you know, what type of, you know, what size of cancer it was, what grade of cancer, if you had lymph nodes, if it was hormone dependent. You plug in all these details and it tells you how much benefit you are getting from your endocrine treatment, how much benefit you get from surgery alone. It, you know, it's not 100% perfect, but it, it's a good indicator of how much benefit you're getting from these treatments. And often you're getting far less benefit than you thought because sometimes you might just be getting a one percent benefit and one percent can be a huge benefit for one person and a tiny benefit for someone else but sometimes it will tell you you get a 10 percent benefit so I think it's a really important tool to use because you can sit down with the women then and say okay this is the benefit you're getting so do you want to do you feel that you can continue if we try and do some tweaks or do you want to take a break or do you want to stop it or shall we try something else? That's quite shocking, isn't it? To then think, oh, there might only be one or two percent. But it's important to understand, I guess, when we first are offered these treatments, we are still very shell shocked. This is yeah. after active treatment, after chemo, radio, maybe surgeries. You then put onto these treatments. You don't think about it. You're just going to take it. It's offered to you. You know you're going to reduce your risks for recurrence. And so if a few months down the line, you start to question whether you might have the conversation with a breast care nurse and we then get to fill in one of these, um, what did you call it? It's called predict breast. Yeah, predict um, breast. Yeah. With, with your breast team, for example, maybe this is the first time we really know and start to understand about our statistics and where we fall and and it's, again, a really difficult conversation to have, isn't it? Because we're always talking about our time here on this planet. And it feels so very real if it is you. And we want to do anything possible to reduce our risks. And at the same time, we also have learned that we've got to just live because no one is, no one really is guaranteed anything. And so it's a tricky conversation. Yeah, and I think also it's really important to have the conversation of there's the risks of not taking something and it's the risks of taking something. So, you know, these medications are not without their risks. So with things like tamoxifen, you have a small risk of a blood clot, a DVT in your leg, and a small risk of abnormal thickening of the lining of the womb and womb cancer. They're very rare risks, but it's important to remember those. And then with the aromatase inhibitors, uh, one of the risks is thinning of your bones and osteoporosis. Now that has significant, you know, mor morbidity, mortality. So basically, um, you know, significant problems. If you get osteoporosis and fall and break your hip, you know, you run into real problems there. So it's always important to remember the risks of taking something as well as risks of not taking something. And I was just speaking to a, a lovely lady who's been on tamoxifen first, had to come off it because of the thickening of the lining of her womb and, and aromatose inhibitors. And her team have just said to her that her risks of staying on the medication are actually greater than her coming yeah. off the, the medication. And that was really difficult for her to hear because it felt like her safety net was pulled away from under her feet. And so we have so many emotions that are wrapped up in this one situation don't we and depending on which side you address the, the problem almost you're going to open another host of problems and yeah yeah so we have the conversation and we understand our risks and benefits where do you go from there with your patients 
So what I usually do is, because the side effect and the, and the symptoms are usually not just one thing. They're usually not just the medication. It's often the medication plus, you know, we've pushed them into menopause with our treatment or they become naturally menopausal or there's other issues going on with their life. And so everything starts snowballing. But if you can fix one thing, then often the other things will fall back into place. So what I usually do is sit down and work out, okay, these symptoms that you're having, are they down to the medication? Are they down to, to, to just be naturally menopausal? So what we often do is have a medication holiday. So we'll say, look, come off your medication for six to eight weeks. And I get them to have a symptom diary before they come off it. And then again, another symptom questionnaire after six to eight weeks. Nothing is going to happen in six to eight weeks. And I think uh, patients always really worry that the breast cancer will suddenly come back. It's not going to. Nothing's going to happen in that six to eight weeks. And if it does come back in that six to eight weeks, it was nothing to do with stopping the medication. And it was going to something that was going to happen anyway. But I always reassure the women that you're fine. Six to eight weeks off it. Keep a diary. And then we can work out how much of your symptoms are down to menopause, how much of your symptoms are down to side effect of the letrozole or tamoxifen. If we think a significant amount of side effects is down to, say, the letrozole, then what we do is we have a conversation. Okay, do you want to try something else? Do you want to try tamoxifen or do you want to try another aromatase inhibitor? And there's a few in that family. And just because they're from the same family, they all have slightly different side effects. So if letrozole doesn't work for you, you can switch to XMSD. And if that doesn't work for you, you can switch to anastrozole. So you can do this switching even from the same family they'll often have very different different side effect profiles. Now that is so interesting because you can't imagine the amount of conversations I have with, with women who say, I, I don't even know what's what. If I knew if my symptoms were to do with the menopause or a side effect of the medication, oh my gosh, I'd feel so much more empowered yeah. to know what to do next. So knowing that we have the possibility to find out in with the safety of doing this with a team and with your breast team, that's amazing. I'm sure that is really helpful to hear that we have that option. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, we use the, the medication holidays all the time in Breast Clinic. It's pretty much the only way you can work out what are these, you know, what are your side effects? So your side effects, the medication or, 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 or just being perimenopausal or menopausal, or is it some other medication you're taking? Because it might be nothing to do with menopause or your letrozole. It might be to do with your antidepressant or your osteoporosis medication or whatever, whatever you're taking. So it, it, it's always worth having that that discussion and again it's your breast care nurse is your first port of contact and um you know and they will often recommend the medication holidays often when i see ladies really struggling with the genital urinary syndrome of menopause with aromatase inhibitor but they want to keep going with them they're not on any lubricant or moisturizer so really important just those tweaks so for for sexual intimacy you want to be using a lubricant um for uh, long term you know you wouldn't dream of not moisturizing your face so you should be moisturizing your vagina so you want to be using a good quality vaginal moisturizer at least three times a week i often say a coconut oil is really good as well as a vaginal moisturizer and then often you can use vaginal estrogen safely as well. And if you do those tweaks, then often you can, you know, you can improve the genital urinary center of menopause. So then the women are, are actually often quite happy then to keep going. And you can do some tweaks with the joint pains as well. 
yoga, Pilates, as well as some vagina estrogen sometimes just does the trick. So what you described just earlier for maybe having the conversation, then maybe going on a treatment holiday to determine what's what, and maybe switching from one drug to another that give you a similar effect. That to me sounds a bit like running an ultra marathon, <laughs> which is exactly what I often describe this state of being in menopause after cancer to be in, because it's not something that we can quick fix uh, Fix quickly It's not something that is just over and done with in a few months. If you're in surgical menopause, you've got to keep going anyway. And if you're on endocrine treatments, often they are for five or 10 years. Now, you run lots of marathons, Alison. <laughs> so we should all take shuffle, I'll shuffle them. <laughs> so you run. No, no, you run lots of marathons. We should take a leaf out of your book. You shuffle run, you say. But do you think knowing that... A, we have options, and yes, nothing is quick, but there are things that we can do, and it may take a year or two even, just knowing that sets the right expectation, I feel. Yeah, I think everything is worth a try, and we can always do something to make you feel better. And that's what I, I, I say to all my women in clinic, there is always something that we can do, and sometimes it's the smallest thing, and sometimes it's lots and lots of different changes. Every woman's individual, and something you know what works one year might not work the next year and it is so it's just giving the women access to help and just trying things have you had the conversation with patients who then said knowing all of my statistics now I'm going to not continue with my tamoxifen or aromatose inhibitors Oh, yes, uh, because, you know, it's, it's all about quality of life, isn't it? Uh, you know, uh, if you are so uncomfortable with your letrozole that you literally can't stand and walk or if you, it's giving you really bad abdominal pains because some women, uh, you know, really struggle with, the, with those side effects, then, you know, they, they say to me all the time, it's my quality of life. That's what's most important to me. And if you're only getting a 1% benefit and it's you're affecting your quality of life to that significant effect then they stop it I mean even I've had women that are five ten percent benefit decided to stop because they want to live wow. and that is the most important thing to them but it's giving them the time to talk yes. about that and actually giving them permission and I always say to them like it's not permanent if you change your mind you know go away and sometimes they'll say okay I'm, I'm going to stop it and so they go away and I say okay come back in three months and let's just see how things are. Your life may be different at that point. And so you might decide that you can put up with some side effects. And so I've had women that have decided to come off it. And then six months down the line, they say, OK, look, actually, I'm going to try again. Can we try something else? And so we do that. So no decision is permanent, apart from, I guess, a surgical menopause. Unfortunately, yeah. that's permanent. But um, that, that is really reassuring, isn't it? Because it just shows that we can have all these doors that keep opening and we can close them and we open another door we close it and it feels a lot more aligned to our life because other things are going to happen to us not just the cancer and not just the symptoms of the menopause and so we need to navigate normal life on top of that as well right and I think it's really important to give the women back some control because yeah. as they, all control has been lost during acute treatment and you need to give patients back control 
And I think a lot of women think, oh, if I stop my treatment, uh, I'm going to get kicked out of clinic. That's that's not the case. Nobody's going to tell you off um, and kick you out of clinic. You know, it's just this is what's right for you at this point in time. But it might be different in a few months time. And that's OK. And keep that door open. Wow. And Alison, do you sometimes have patients who want to discuss hormone replacement therapy with you after a hormone dependent cancer as well? Or do you never have those get those conversations in the first place? No, I probably have those conversations every day. Do, do you actually? But, but so yeah. for women who've had an um, estrogen or progesterone positive um, cancer, we're always told HRT isn't an option. And that's why you go on anti-endocrine therapies, right, to remove or block all of that estrogen. And so women still come in and talk to you about how does that work? I mean, how is yeah, that conversation? Um, well, it's a well, it's a very long conversation. <laughs> and historically, yes, uh, it, you know, and it certainly isn't, you know, first line treatment, it is a long conversation going through all the trials that ha have been done and all the studies that have been done. And, you know, there is conflicting evidence. But again, for some women, it's their quality of life. And they say, look, I am prepared to take the risk of an increased risk of breast cancer recurrence for my quality of life because I don't want to live like this. And I think a lot of surgeons, breast surgeons, breast oncologists think that this rarely happens, but it happens every day. Every day women come back and they say, they say to me, I wish I'd never had my treatment. I wish I'd never had my chemotherapy. Oh. You know, some women say, I wish I was dead. I, I, I wish that, you know, and that, again, is absolutely heartbreaking. And there isn't hard and fast evidence that HRT increases the risk of breast cancer recurrence. There is conflicting evidence. But as well as, as discussing the evidence, and I think it's really important to say, look, we just don't know it's safe. But, you know, some studies have shown increased risk of localised recurrence, but no increased risk of distant metastasis or death. And other studies haven't shown that. So we've got to be honest and say, we, we at this point, we simply just don't know. And it's unlikely that more kind of proper randomised control studies will be done because you, you can't do that. You can't, you know, take women who've had breast cancer and say, OK, you're having HRT and, and you're not. And so we, we can't do that. So those studies will not be done. But it's also really important to discuss okay, risks of giving HRT with our conflicting evidence and risks of not giving HRT. And if you've got somebody who is in their 30s, 40s, and you've put them into early menopause, you know, in their kind of late 30s, early 40s, then their risks of dying are generally not from the breast cancer, but are from your early onset heart disease and your osteoporosis, cognitive decline, you know, the biggie is the early onset heart disease. And so, you know, you've got to have a discussion with them. Do you have a family history of heart disease? Do you have a family history of osteoporosis? What is your lifestyle like? And, you know, for some women, uh, you know, I, I, I saw a woman just last week and she was in her 50s, early 50s, bringing up the grandchildren, working three jobs just to make ends meet. And she was just miserable. She was five years down the line and she was just miserable and not coping and literally hanging on by her toenails. And so me telling her, go away and do a yoga retreat was not going to cut it. She needed help. She was prepared to take the unknown risk. And so we went ahead and gave her HRT because for her, 
point of life that she was in, she needed to be able to function. She needed to be able to work. She had to do those three jobs to make end meets to look after her grandchildren. You know, she was sleeping on a sofa um, and not sleeping and trying to function and not sleeping. So the risks to her and and she felt so unwell that, uh, you know, her she wasn't looking after herself physically or mentally. So she was actually at higher risk of heart disease and, you know, not sleeping that makes you pile weight on. And it's, you know, the weight piling on gives you the increased risk of breast cancer. So you've got to always think it's not just black and white. You can't give HRT to breast cancer patients. You've got to think about the bigger picture. You've got to think about the woman holistically. What else is going on in her life? It's not black and white. And are these women, when they have the conversation with you, that think, I want to stay on my tamoxifen or aromatase inhibitors and take HRT at the same time? Or is this the time where you decide to stop endocrine treatment and give them HRT? I don't know how it works. Sorry, if this is a really so, simple question. <laughs> yeah, so, well, there's no point being on HRT and aromatase inhibitor because uh, the point of the aromatase inhibitor is to plummet your estrogen to, to literally, you know, absolutely negligible levels. And that's why women feel so awful, actually, on aromatase inhibitor because it literally plummets you to old lady estrogen levels. So it's doing what it's supposed to do, and that's why you're struggling. So there's no point in adding an HRT. It's not going to do anything. It just it would negate it. Uh, there is some evidence to show if you give HRT with tamoxifen, actually tamoxifen can be protective to the breasts with the HRT. Often, I mean, I do try and encourage the women, look, you know, if you're in the first one to two years, it's a bit early. Just try and get a bit further down the line of your journey. Um, I feel a lot more comfortable having the discussion when they're a few years down the line so often they've finished their endocrine treatment and isn't it brilliant if we all had more support in staying on the endocrine treatment with the help of a breast clinic and a menopause clinic so that we have fewer side effects so that we could manage to live well within the endocrine treatment that would be amazing really isn't it that's the that's the goal that we have these great survival rates that science has given us and we can feel well living so that we get to enjoy the time we've been given through these medications and drugs. Yeah, I think what I just really like women listening to this to know is please contact your breast clinic, contact the breast care nurses because often it's just a few tweaks make the biggest difference and then that enables you to stay on your treatment. It seems to me that having conversations and often difficult conversations is the majority of your work, right? You are navigating <laughs> really quite complex situations. You look at them from different sides. Is the risk higher to give a treatment or risk higher to not give a treatment? This requires a real sort of a very compassionate, I guess, working with, with one another and also a very non-judgmental situation, which is fantastic to hear that it's happening beautiful to hear actually thank you Alison <laughs> oh you're welcome yeah I think though these conversations take time and you know I feel so sorry for for GPs at the moment because they've only get 10 minutes so you know for a GP to try and have these conversations it's impossible for them so um uh, you know I think um GPs can access the breast clinics really easily as well and it's to have those open channels of conversation really important thank you for just talking about this difficult phase in someone's life and for just giving us all these hopes and opening doors to all these different 
strategies we can implement. Thank you, Alison. It's been fantastic chatting. Oh, you're welcome. Okay. I hope this episode has been useful if you are currently navigating tamoxifen or aromatose inhibitor. And I hope Alison and what she was telling us has sort of opened a few doors for you so that you think, actually, I have room to tinker with my treatment, with maybe some medication that can help me sustain and stay on this treatment so that we don't feel we just have to take something and suffer regardless of the consequences. Because life is for living and we need to try and live as well as possible, right? So that we have a good quality of life for as long as possible. And I realized we could have also spoken much more in depth about what these treatments do for us. How do they work in the body? Why are they so helpful? But I feel like bringing in an oncologist to explain that to us, because this is really their area of expertise. It was Alison's area of expertise, how to help us manage the side effects of those treatments within her clinic and the NHS uh, breast practice she runs in Glasgow. And then in the following episodes, we're bringing an oncologist to really talk us through about the benefits and what their point of view is for aromatose inhibitors and tamoxifen. And for today, I just hope that my introduction and the examples of how women feel whilst on these treatments and the struggles they have, and then a little bit of Alison's hope and expertise can help you find one next step or help you find one other thing that you could try so that you can stay on these treatments and navigate them as best as possible. Anyway, that is the aim and my hope for today's episode. And as always, tell me, email us to hello at healthyholme.com, uh, reach out on social media and rate and review the podcast. And if you're having a really terrible and rough time on either of those treatments, and yeah, I just, I just hope it eases up for you. I just hope you find a way through and that you find glimmers and nuggets of joy amidst all of the difficult times with lots of love and I catch up with you next week.